So grab a seat as we journey into Africa, in particular the state, the city, the country of Malawi. So thank you first of all for your prayers. While we were praying, your prayers were heard. Thanks, music team. Uh, drummer, do ne never go far away because you never know what I'm going to call. On, I love, the, I love the drummer. Um, but on this trip, I, I think the the phrase that repeatedly was on my heart was fire and wind, come and do it again. And God sent us a revival. It's been on my heart, you know, right throughout that trip. And uh, we, we experienced it from time to time in our, in our meetings that we were there. So there's some things that I learned about what brings the fire and wind, what brings revival, what are some things that I learned on this trip, these are probably not the only things, but these are some of the things. And the first thing I, I learned was that God turns up in humble places. Yeah. Uh, it's amazing. Maori is one of the poorest uh, countries or nations in the world. It's uh, out of 189 countries, it's 174th poorest country in the world. Over 50% live in poverty and 20% live in extreme poverty. And just to be in a nation like that is very challenging, very sobering, and uh, yeah, very impacting. Their access to clean water, uh, to sanitation, and to health are huge challenges. Yeah. You think we've got problems? Yeah. Go try Malawi for a little bit of time, and you'll find that we are so, so blessed uh, being in this place. So I've just got a little short clip we can turn the lights down of just a little bit of what Malawi is like. Just have a bit of a glance at this. Yeah, you can see that people just, a lot of people live in just tiny shacks. Uh, just one room in many cases. And uh, it's very, very challenging. And I felt very challenged myself, I thought, you know, how could I ever complain again? Yeah. You think life's tough. I know there's challenges, there's economic challenges. I know you've got struggle, struggles, but compared to places like what, what they call now the majority world, it lives in Struggle Street, beyond probably any person in this room uh, that would struggle more than us. There's probably one reason why God just does not like complaining. He just, you know, there's a hatred of, in Scripture against us. So why don't you just tell the person next to you, no more complaining, please. <laughs> it's just amazing how much we, we do struggle. But, you know, with, uh, I, we felt the privilege of living in New Zealand. But we didn't just feel the privilege, we felt the responsibility of, uh, you know, because there's a Scripture in, uh, where is it found? Luke 24 to 48 to whom much is given, from him much would be required. Yeah. And you know in New Zealand, we've been, how many agree we've been given so much? Yeah. There's about 10 of us think that. Yeah. But anyway, believe me, we've all been given so much. And yeah. with that, there comes a real responsibility of you know, living our lives out for God. So let me just um, show you a photo of what the delegates were like inside the hall there. Just gives you a picture of where we are. So, yeah, there's, you know, about a hundred and something of them came, came and turned up for that conference, and uh, it's the first time I've been to Africa and preached to a crowd like that. It was a, it was a, it was a great experience, really, to, to be a part of it. 
And one of the things that, they're considered the friendly nation of Africa. They're the warm, friendly people. And they are, they're courteous, they're kind, they're loving, they're caring, they're, they're humble. And uh, it was amazing just to be among such a group of people. And uh, the conference, I was a bit of a shock really, it took me back to the days of my missionary work in the Philippines. The, the meeting was in, a, in a, just an old, old building, wooden building. The ceiling was sort of somewhat deteriorating. Uh, the floor was concrete. Uh, the, the wood pews were wooden, you know, old school wooden pews. The platform was all concrete. Um, there was no screen. Um, there was no projectors. Uh, there was no smoke machine. Uh, there was no guitars. Uh, there was no electric guitars or anything like that. Um, uh, there, there, was, there was no synth. There was just one old rundown keyboard. And I thought, oh my Jesus, where have I come? <laughs> where have you brought me, Lord? And uh, yet, in this very poor, yeah, yeah. humble yeah. place, no screen, yeah. no musical instruments apart from a, one old keyboard that was a pain. It was so noisy and loud and, you know, nothing else. God turned up. And I learned a lesson that uh, God is drawn to humble people and to humble places. Um, We know Jesus led the way in humility. In Philippians 2 verse 8, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Humility is a huge key to God turning up in your life. We can tend to be quite proud and arrogant and in your face and we're gonna do it my way. But when we can capture humility, I believe that's when God turns up. In fact, James 4 verse six says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Whatever you're facing today, whatever struggle you're in, take the humble road. Don't get on your high horse. Take the humble road and you're gonna find that's where God's gonna turn up. I had an encounter a number of years ago with the humility of God and the truth of humility. It was a profound experience that really did deeply impact my life. And I realized then that humility is a far bigger factor in our lives and our walk, with far, far greater quality that God is after than we would, uh, most of us would, would realize. And uh, Jesus was born where? In Bethlehem, in a manger, <laughs> in a stable not in a palace. God doesn't tend to turn up in palaces. <laughs> he tends to turn up in these places. And Azusa Street, probably the greatest revival there's ever been, uh, was in a barn, which was a housing animals. They had to clean the place out. And in that place, God turned up in manifest glory and a revival that would sweep the globe and transform the church of that day. God is drawn to humble places. Um, one of the things I remember was, uh, they told us a story of um, one person came to the conference and uh, think about this, came on bike, and uh, his wife was, he was on riding the push bike, his wife was on the back, and they biked seven hours to get to the conference. Hunger does things in your life. Hunger shifts gears. It moves you, when nothing else will move you, hunger will move you. I worked out, That'd be like biking with uh, your wife on the back from Mongawai to get to uh, church this morning or to get to New Zealand and be on conference. 
That's approximately what they did. Incredible. You hear these stories, it's kind of, it's very moving. Uh, you realize there's a world out there where people are so desperate uh, for God, so desperate. Not all of them, but some of them were certainly like that, and it was uh, really uh, inspiring to be a part of it. So the last night of the conference was really interesting, because by then a lot of people had left. And uh, so there was, I want, no, just before I get to that, here's a picture of their humility. Like, they're so poor. I'm gonna show you a clip. I took some of my books up there, uh, and I just gave them away for free. And for them to receive a book when they're that poor was, is like giving them gold. And so just check out this clip. If we can have the lights down at the same time, it'd be great. One per couple. It's pretty humbling, you know. Just people lining up for a free book. It's just, um, yeah, it just meant so much to them. It was, it, was a, it was an interesting experience. But I was going back to the last night of the conference, and a lot of the people had left, and uh, there was about 70 people left in the meeting. And uh, when I was praying for the meeting beforehand, I'd had a sense that God was going to do something. Uh, but when I turned up to the meeting and saw that, Half the people had left, and uh, my, my faith level just, just dropped away. And uh, this is how sometimes preachers think. I thought, right, Lord, we're going to preach a short message, and we're going to get out of here as fast <laughs> as we can. And uh, that was really was my thinking. And, um, but then I began to preach, and I began to speak to this group of just 70 people. It was like, yeah, it was like nothing's going to happen here. And yet the Spirit of God came on me in a powerful way. And it ended up being the most powerful meeting that we had in the whole time as I began to speak on revival. And uh, yeah, they just got fired up. And it was, a, it, was, it was a lesson to me that I started to walk by faith, walk yeah. by sight instead of by faith. Yeah. And you know, when you walk by sight, you lose, you lose the faith for your breakthrough. Yeah. You, know, you keep looking at circumstances around you and thinking, well, I don't think this is gonna happen, or this, this is against me, or that is against me. And it was just a real classic um, uh, lesson to me. And there's that scripture, isn't it? I think it's found in 2 Corinthians somewhere. We walk by faith, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7. We walk by faith, not by sight. And uh, that meeting, you know, that when my faith was at the lowest, uh, God turned up in the greatest way. It's a funny kind of thing that God does. The atmosphere was electric. I'd say it's probably as close as I've been to a move of God. You know, where the place was just, it was pumped. It was alive. People were on their feet and we were making declarations. There's a cry of the Spirit. We're calling out on God. People were on their faces, people were on their knees. It was just, uh, I I wish you'd all been there. And I've been experienced when God turns up and we're Malawi, you know, in a broken down hall with no lights, machines or, or sounds, all that sort of, that, all missing. Is not, even, we didn't even have song sets. People have sung a few songs. So there's no build up to bring the presence of God. You kind of got up and it's just cold. But God's greater than the cold. 
God's greater than no music. God's greater than a screen. God's greater than a smoke machine. God's greater than a crowd of people. God is great. And He can turn up whenever He wants to turn up. And you can be in the smallest place, in the black blocks of nowhere, one of the poorest nations in the world. People are hungry just to get a book and God is going to turn up because God is drawn to hungry people. God is drawn to humble places. And we want all the fancy stuff which we do want and we're not going to get rid of any of it. We do want it. It's not the key. It's not the key. The key is God turning up. And so it was, uh, yeah, it was just a, a pretty exciting time. So can I just say this? Don't despise the humble aspects of your life, which we do. Don't despise your weaknesses. God's drawn to it. Don't despise your brokenness. You say, oh, I'm so broken. God's drawn to it. Yeah. Let me give you a scripture on that. I can find it. Isaiah 57, 15. Thus says the high and lofty one who abits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in a high and holy place with him who has a contrite and a humble spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Don't despise your low self-esteem. Don't despise the fact that you're very shy. Don't despise the fact that you may not be the brightest person on the block. That others are, don't, don't despise the fact that you feel inferior to some other people. Don't, don't despise your failures and your mistakes. God is drawn to the humble, to the broken, to the needy. It's just an incredible aspect of God. And the things that we despise most is often the things that God treasures the most. Don't put yourself down all the time. Embrace your brokenness. Embrace your weaknesses. Because I believe that's where God can come in powerful ways. Isn't it Isaiah? Doesn't it say? Spirit of the Lord is upon me. What? Preach the gospel to the rich? No, to the poor. Open prison doors. Set captives free. Beauty for ashes. The oil of joy for mourning. He's talking about broken people. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. The spirit of the Lord is on me. Why? To minister to the humble and broken people. And we spend all our time trying to look flash and fancy (laughs) when none of us are flash or fancy. (laughs) We're all broken in some area. Look, just tell the person next to you, you're broken, own up to it. (laughs) Oh dear, it's okay to be not okay. So don't do that. So this, this, the first thing I learned was that um, God turns up in humble places. Try and remember that. Because I think it's so important. Find, get yourself, look, I'm going to take that a bit deeper. The second thing I learned about fire and wind and revival is obviously we all know about it, and that's prayer. Prayer is obviously the key. But what, what came to me on this trip was that one of the hum, most humble places you can ever be in is prayer. Yeah, yeah. So true. Because prayer is basically saying, God, I can't do this without you. 
Oh, I can't live this life without you. Lord, I, I can't serve without your help. God, I'm absolutely dependent upon you in every area of my life. That's humility, and God is drawn to humble people. God is drawn to people of prayer, because people of prayer are saying, God, I need you. I'm desperate for you. I can't go on without you. That's why when we're in prayer, often we'll have encounters. That's where we have encounters. That's where I have most of my encounters. When I'm praying, God somehow turns up, because he's drawn to places of humility. But an experience I had while I was overseas that I've never had before, and I'm still processing through it, was this. I found myself in my room, uh, and I was praying away, and I was standing, and I was praying, and uh, it was okay, and then it's sort of like the Spirit said, I felt prompted to get on my knees. So I got on my knees, and when I was on my knees, it's like the, the flow of prayer increased. I thought, that was interesting. And, um, and then I, I had this, this prompting in my heart, you know, Tark, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. I heard the voice of the Spirit saying that to me. So then I got, got flat on my face, prostrate before God, I'm telling you, the flow of the Spirit and the presence of God increased another level. And I was trying to work out, God, what are you trying to say to me? Well, I think each posture is a greater posture of humility. So when you're standing, you know, (laughs) you're standing before God, and then when you go to your knees, you're humbling yourself. When you go prostrate, you're going even more humble, saying your desperation for God. God turns up in humble places. God turns up in humble places. (laughs) You know, Now, please understand me when I say the next part, all right, because I don't want anyone to stop doing this. But when I was standing and praying, there's a thought that came into my my heart, just saying, almost like God saying, Tuck, how can you stand and address the Most High God? Get on your knees. I thought, oh, gosh. Now, hey, I still keep standing to pray, but it was a bit of an experience that I had that humility and prayer is very closely linked together because it's a desperation for our need of God. And so that is another key to bringing the wind and the fire into our lives. So one of the things that really, um, really challenged me when we were there is before one of the meetings, when we got there, the African Malawi people were praying for the meeting. And so I want you to see this clip of how they pray in Africa. Give plenty of volume, guys, please. <laughs> Come on. Wow. <laughs> they may be poor in, in, uh, in terms of wealth, but some of, them are, um, some of them are very rich in what really matters, and that's in prayer. Make it your goal to be rich in what matters. Rich in what really matters. Some of us spend all our lives trying to get rich in this area, that area, the other area, and this, that, and the other. And there's nothing wrong with that. God doesn't, does, he doesn't mind that. But he says, make sure at the same time you're actually richer in the things that do matter. You know, like your relationship with God, your serving of God, your prayer life, your sack, all those other things that are actually more important than that. You know, one of the things that we're told is that the wife of the leader, Juliet's her name, um, Guys, can you work out how long I've been speaking? Because I'm still on 30 minutes. So I don't know how long I've been going, but uh, it'd be helpful if I could find that out. So the, the wife, um, they, 
we, we discovered that she lives in a very humble place, but she, would, she gets up at two o'clock each morning and kneels on her cushions for an hour, crying out to God. And I thought, oh my gosh, I have much to learn from the people of Malawi. You know, when you actually, actually, you know, you might read about it, but when you actually see the person that actually does it, it, it's another level. It's an amazing thing. And so it was just, some of these things were very challenging for us on our trip. And um, it was great. It was great. That's why my life was changed when you let these things impact you. The third thing I realized about, if we want to see fire and wind, I want to see revival, it is said that revival is born after midnight. What does that mean? Well, it's the same true for breakthrough. If you want to break through a life, it's when you go the extra mile. It's when you go the, do the hard yards. When you push a bit deeper and a bit stronger and a bit longer, and when you cry out a bit more desperation, it's born after midnight. Like the low-key casual prayers are okay, but when you push beyond that, yeah. when you really begin to cry out to God, sometimes you get on your knees and you're, you're almost beginning to pray in desperation. You're going the extra mile. If you want your breakthrough and it's not yet coming, I, I'll tell you to go the extra mile. It's born after midnight. It, you know, you just keep coming to another prayer meeting. You, you keep making another declaration. You, you just do another fast. You know, you, 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 do, you cry out to God. You do an extra time of prayer somewhere, but revival breakthrough is born after midnight. And I believe the church is calling us, God is calling the church to a greater level of desperation, calling us to, to push a bit harder for the things that we really want God to see. We've gone so far, but it's time to go to revival, breakthrough, it's born after midnight. If you will go the extra mile, if you'll go the extra yard, if you'll push a bit harder, if you'll pray again, if you'll strike the, the arrows one more time, if you'll keep pushing, if you'll keep driving, keep that battering ram going, if you refuse to give up, you refuse you refuse to quit, you refuse to stop, you refuse to say I'm beaten, you refuse to say I won't get my breakthrough, you refuse to say I'm defeated, you've been praying it for six months, you've been praying a year, five years, 10 years, 20 years, it doesn't matter, revival is born after midnight, prayer is born after midnight, breakthrough comes after midnight. I've been praying for revival for decades, but I'm still gonna keep praying because revival is born after midnight. I will keep crying out to God. I'll keep calling upon the name of the Lord. I cannot back off. I cannot step back. Revival breakthrough is born after midnight. After midnight, as we keep crying out to God. Friends, we give up too easily. We quit too easily, or we just say, I'm not prepared to do the hard yards. We need to do the hard yards, friends. Our revival prayer meetings, they are so powerful. Do you know why? It's going the extra mile. It's saying, God, I'm prepared to pray more than just the one prayer meeting. I'll go to another prayer meeting. When you go the extra mile, God turns up. I get more revelation in those prayer meetings than any other prayer meeting that I ever attend. It's just like God says, son, I'm with you. This is my heart. You know, just keep doing this. And I'm gonna keep turning up and I'm gonna keep giving you revelation. I've had understanding of prayer like I've never had in 40 years of walking with God. When did it come? After midnight. It came when I pushed myself that little bit harder, that little bit further. 
Revival is born after midnight. If you don't get anything else, breakthrough is born after midnight. Do the extra yards. Go the extra mile. Push yourself a bit further and watch what God will do. It's an amazing thing. That's why I think, hey, you know, I worked out, and I don't know the exact root numbers, but across our campuses, across our campuses, my guesstimate is that we have 20, over 25 revival prayer meetings. Come on, is there a praise in the house? 25! How many of you know revival's gotta be coming? It's gotta be on its way. Hey, but watch out when it comes, folks. But the biggest thing that happens is mighty conviction of sin. Mighty conviction of sin. People are on their faces before God, repenting of many, many different things. So get ready, the revival is on its way, and it's gonna be awesome when it comes. All right. Number four, divine appointments. Oh, you gotta hear this story. So maybe the highlight of the trip was this. I'm in Cape Town now, this part of Africa, and um, I've got a taxi driver and he's taking us, I don't know, somewhere. Probably probably to a curry restaurant somewhere. We found a lot of curry meals, actually. It was fantastic. You know, even even in Malawi, we were staying. They had curry, lamb curry, they had Rogan Josh, and... You know, and then we went to Cape Town, we just kept finding, these, these curry restaurants kept finding us. <laughs> Which, wherever we turned, there was another curry restaurant, so um, how did I get onto that? It's nothing to do with anything. <laughs> anyway, that's right, he was probably driving us to a curry restaurant somewhere. But anyway, I talked to him and I found out, I said, where are you from? Because a lot of them in Cape Town have come from other countries that are war-torn and broken and all that, it's really sad. But he said, look, I'm from Malawi. So I said to him, oh, oh, wow. And I said, well, I understand there's um, a lot of Christians in Malawi. He said, oh, yeah, there are. And I said, are you one? And he said, "Um, yeah, I think so. (laughs) He said, I go to the Catholic church. And I said, "Um, do they talk to you about being born again? And he said, yeah, they, they do. He said, but I don't understand it. He said, look, there's 20 minutes till we get to your destination. Can you explain to me what born again means? It didn't take me 20 minutes. I just shared him the gospel, very simple, about Jesus dying on the cross for his sins. I shared him Christ, and I said, look, um, would you like to become a Christian and invite Jesus into your heart? And he said, I should actually, before, I've got to get you this other part before I get to that, that's exciting. Before we get to that, when we got talking, he's, he's married, or he's getting married, but he had to buy his wife with cows. Yeah. So he had to pay seven cows to get his wife. He'd only managed to buy three so far, so he was saving $400 for each cow, each cow, 400 US, I think. So he needed another money for four cows, so I gave him money for half a cow, I think, or something like Whatever I had in my pocket, I'd go, I said, here, 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 take this money for your cows. But, but, so this still happens, friends, still happens around the world. You buy your wife with cows, and I said, well, how many cows do you have to pay? And he said, well, it depends on the quality of the girl you want. <laughs> so it must have been a pretty good wife that he got anyway. But <laughs> oh, there's something else in that story, but I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> it's just uh, it's, it's it's next level. Uh, this goes on TV, so I better keep that one out. Anyway, I said to him, um, I said to him, "Do you want to receive Christ 
And he said, yes. And so we managed to get a clip of, you might not be able to hear it all, of me leading this taxi driver to Jesus. So give us some volume if you can, and let's see if we can't hear some of it. How cool is that? How, I've never had that experience in my life ever before. God took me halfway around the world for one person from Malawi. When I'm leaving, listen to this, leaving the hotel in Cape Town, a porter just happens to come out when I was moving my base. He said, let me help you. And then I just told him I'd been in Malawi doing a conference. and. Uh, this guy who got saved, his name's Peter, um, he said he knew of Hillsong Church, and he said, look, I'll go to Hillsong Church, and he showed me where it was. He said, I'm gonna go there on Sunday. He said, I'll take my wife, I'm gonna go to Hillsong Church. He said, I'll be there on Sunday. So you sure? He said, I'll be there on Sunday. So this porter comes in, porter, and I tell, tell him I've been just doing a pastor's seminar uh, up in um, Malawi, and he said, oh, he said, I go to the Hillsong Church. So I got the card of Peter and gave it to this porter. And I said, will you follow up, Peter, please? And if you can't, will you give this card to the pastor at Hillsong Church? Listen, listen, before you clap, God's care, God's heart, God's love for one individual person. It was extraordinary. It was, I couldn't believe, it was just so extraordinary. And it tell, this is what it tells me, is that you, are so important to God. Not just Peter, every one of you is just as important to God as Peter is. And if you'll take me around the world and have that port and everything set up just for this one, what will he do for you? Don't underestimate your value. You are of extreme value in the sight of God. Jesus went to the cross if you were the only person ever alive. You are of unbelievable worth, unbelievable value. Don't ever minimize yourself. You're of great worth in the eyes of God. You are amazing. You are made in the image of God. You are crowned with glory and honor. You are an amazing, amazing person. And God loves you so dearly. He loves you as much as he loves Peter. The last point I want to make, last point, is that if we want to see the wind and fire, it's going to require sacrifice. The Malawi people sacrifice a lot to get the gospel out to those who don't have it. I'm going to put a photo up there of the leader. His name was Rodney, and just a lovely guy. And um, you can leave that up for a few moments if you like. And I just talked to him. I got talking to him on the, on the, when he's taking us to the airport. And I, I think this really was like an encounter with God as he told me his story. Because I said, what is, what is your biggest challenges? Um, and he told me he was a, a missionary to Botswana for a, for a number of years. And I said, well, what, what was it like? He said, well, we, we suffered so much. And I said, well, how did you suffer? He said, well, first of all, we didn't have enough food to eat. 
And uh, he said we'd have no food, and every so often he said there'd be a knock on the door, and someone would come and say, hey, look, here's something to eat. And I thought, how many days did they go without food? And then he said, um, his kids, he said they suffered a lot too because there often wasn't enough food to provide you. Just imagine you not having enough food for your kids, folks. Just to get context, just to get insight of what it's like here in Malawi. And he told me the story that one day the neighbors next door knew that there was no food for the kids, so they put some food in a bowl and they pushed it onto his property so that the boys could have something to eat. And Rodney told me, he said, can you put Rodney up again, thanks? Uh, Rodney told me that um, when he saw, when he found out that the neighbors had provided a little bit of food for his sons, he said the pain in his heart was so great because his sons were suffering so much and he wasn't able to provide for them. It's pretty deep, isn't it, folks? Pretty deep. And he said not only that, he said my children missed out on education because I understand they couldn't afford to put their kids into education. And I began to see the price that people are willing to pay to get the gospel to the unreached. I was so challenged, folks. I was so challenged. I thought, Tark, what are you prepared to do to get the gospel to those who don't know Jesus, those who are without Christ, those who are without hope? And he did that for many, many years. He did that. One of the things that they ended up doing is they built their own school back in Malawi so that other kids wouldn't miss out on education like his kids did. But God is faithful. Somehow God has worked and both of his sons are doing well and they have good jobs. You'll never outgive God. You'll never outserve God. You'll never outsacrifice God. You'll never outdo God. God will never be in debt to you. No matter what you do for him, he will pay you back, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. That is the God that I know. That is the God that I serve. He is always one step ahead. He will always make up for whatever sacrifice. And I believe whatever sacrifice you make, God will increase the blessing upon your life. If we would just give, if we lose our life, we're gonna find it. If we die, we're gonna live. If we give, we're gonna receive. If we sow, we're gonna reap. It is the upside down gospel. I've talked to you about it so, so many times. But friends, you will never outgive God. You will never out-sacrifice God. You will never out-serve God. No matter what you do for Him, God will repay. He is no man's debtor. He is no man's debtor, if not in this life, for certain in the next life. Sacrifice is the key to seeing the wind and the fire and the power of God. I was deeply touched by His life and the sacrifices He's willing to make. There is a cost to serving Jesus, and, to, and Jesus led the way. The apostles led the way. Millions down through history have led the way. I don't know, there were millions of martyrs just before the end of the first century. There's persecution all across the globe today, friends. Tens, thousands, millions of people suffering. Many are in prison. 2 Timothy 2 verse 10, listen to this. I endure all things for the sake of the elect, those who are gonna be saved that they may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. You know, we're all called to be missionaries. In the workplace, in our street, in the school, wherever God places us. Mark 8, 34 to 35, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. A lot of Christians spend their whole life saving their life looking after me, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels 
will save it, will find it. The more you give yourself to God, the more he'll give himself back to you.